Thanks, Rihanna. Keep that passage open. Now let's pray. Loving Father, would you show us the goodness of this part of your word? Help us to believe it. But more than that, help us to live it out. May you shape us more and more into the image of your Son as you speak your word into our lives by your Spirit now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm um, conducting my first wedding ceremony next weekend. And doing that, as I kind of meet with this couple getting married, I, I get to see the work and stress that's involved in planning a wedding. And it reminds me of the stress that I experienced as I planned my own wedding. And do you know what the biggest stress was in planning my wedding? Actually, it was before that. It was before we actually got engaged. It was, it was the engagement ring. That was the big stress that I felt. Now, I am a male, and at the time I was an engineer. And so those two things probably tell you all that you need to know about my experience with pretty things. I have very little knowledge of pretty things. Pretty wasn't a category that I lived with. I just didn't think much about. I I cared whether things worked. And so in my mind, a diamond was probably far better suited to coating a drill bit or a saw blade. That's, that's where diamonds should be, not on weak bits of metal shoved on a finger. Anyway, so th- this, that is me going to buy an engagement ring. Now, there's lots of obstacles in this story. The first obstacle was that I learned that rings have sizes. I didn't know that was a thing. Fingers are different sizes, and they have sizes. Uh, that one was easier to solve, because I just snuck into Janice's house and stole one of her rings, um, because... What better way is there to begin a lifelong commitment of trust and honesty than breaking into your girlfriend's house and stealing her jewellery? Second obstacle was learning about diamonds. Yeah, I learned the four C's of diamonds and then I pretended that I knew what I was talking about because I can tell the difference between a diamond that is slightly included or very slightly included. But the biggest obstacle... The biggest obstacle in buying a diamond ring is the ladies behind the jewellery shop counter. No one here works in a jewellery shop, do they? Good. Salespeople are not my favourite people in the world, and and jewellery salespeople, they're in a whole other category, right? I had to endure, I had to bite my tongue as they would tell me that I needed to spend three months' salary, because otherwise how would Janice know that I loved her? And I had to bite my tongue as they told me I should also buy an eternity ring because saying till death do our part in front of all of our friends and family just isn't enough. But anyway, at last I emerged victorious with a ring. And it fit. And she liked it. And it complemented her beauty wonderfully. And that's really what a ring should do, right? The diamond ring didn't make Janice beautiful. She was already beautiful. But it complemented her beauty. It, it fit with her. It, it added, but it didn't make her beautiful. And friends, this morning in the passage that Rihanna just read for us, Paul deals with a topic which is much the same as a diamond. He deals with the topic of Christian behaviour. And in particular, he wants to show us that there is a way for Christians to live that fits the gospel, that complements the beauty of the gospel, 
But he also wants to make very clear that it's not our behaviour that makes us beautiful. You see, Christian behaviour fits with the gospel, but it does not make us right with God. And so this morning we're going to see that it's a life that's transformed by the gospel that is a precious jewel that shines and sparkles and invites others to see the beauty of the gospel. But it's also more than that. Because diamonds are more than just pretty things that you put on fingers. They're also the things that you coat saw blades with. They're useful tools. And the life of a Christian, your behaviour as a follower of Jesus, is a tool that God will use to help grow disciples. The gospel-shaped life is a precious jewel and a useful tool. You can see those two points on your outline, but before we get to those, first thing that we need to see is that we don't get a gospel-shaped life by keeping rules. Now, you have a look at that passage that we just read. It's really easy to see it as a list of rules, right? I could get up here today and I could tell you, old men, you need to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Go do that. Old women, here's what you need to do. And I could just go on and list the rules. And you probably wouldn't be that surprised, because at first glance, it seems that that's exactly what Paul's doing. He's giving us a list of instructions to follow. But if you look closely, you'll see Paul's actually doing something very different. And we see it in the very first two words. Well, they give us a big clue, at least. You, however. You see, Paul is clearly making a contrast. He's instructing Titus to teach in a way that is categorically different to the way that some other people are teaching. And we saw the other people that were teaching last week, didn't we? You see, in the second half of chapter 1, Paul warned Titus about people in the church who were teaching Christians that to be accepted by God, they needed to trust in Jesus and obey rules. They were teaching that faith in Jesus wasn't enough. You also needed to keep the Old Testament law. And so they were saying that salvation is not a gift that you receive from God. It's something that you earn. And we we talked a lot about this last week. I'm repeating myself, but it's a really important thing that we need to hear again and again and again. You do not earn your way to salvation. You do not make yourself acceptable to God. Anyway, and so in chapter 1, Paul tells Titus... Silence those false teachers. Don't let them talk. Rebuke them. And now in chapter 2, he's saying, don't be like them. They were teaching works righteousness. God will accept you if you're good enough. But you, Titus, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. They are teaching that you need to be circumcised and avoid pork to be a Christian. You, however, must teach behaviour that is consistent with the gospel of grace. They are teaching rules to earn God's love. You must teach the outcome of God's love. And so, friends, before we go any further, we need to be really clear on this. Titus chapter 2 is not a list of rules for you to follow. 
It's not a way that you will make yourself acceptable to God. What we have here is a description of what your life will look like when it has been transformed by the gospel. To put it another way, Titus 2 is not the prerequisite, but the outcome. If you've been to uni, you will have heard the language of prerequisites and outcomes. And it's really important that you don't get them confused when you're at uni. Because the prerequisite is what you need to do before you start the course. Here's what you need to be. If you want to study medicine, you need a score of 95 in the year 12 exams or something. I don't know what it is. But that's the prerequisite. That's what you need to be before you start. The outcome is what you're going to be at the end. At the end of a six-year medical degree, you'll be proficient in medical things that I don't know what I'm talking about. But the prerequisites and outcomes, and you can't get them confused. If you do, you get a year 12 kid who's crying because they don't know how to do heart surgery yet. Because they've confused the prerequisites with the outcome. But friends, if we get those confused with the gospel, well, we actually lose the gospel. If we take the outcomes of the gospel and say, this is what you need to be to be accepted to God, we've lost the gospel. And so let's get this in our heads. There are two prerequisites for being a Christian. Do you know what they are? First one, you need to be a sinner. The second one, you need to be breathing. That's it. Are you a sinner? Are you still alive? You can be accepted by God by receiving the gospel. That's, that's all. They are the prerequisites. If you're not a sinner, you don't need the gospel. If you're not breathing, it's too late. They are the prerequisites. And so Titus 2 is not the prerequisites, it's the outcomes. This is what we will look like when Jesus is our Lord. This is what we will look like when the power of the gospel has had its way with us. This is the kind of life that fits with the gospel, that is appropriate to sound doctrine. And so the implication of this is that if you are an old man who trusts in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, but you're not temperate or worthy of respect or self-controlled, the question for you is not so much, how do I become more temperate or more worthy of respect or more self-controlled? The question is, what is it about the gospel that I haven't grasped? What is it that I've missed that makes me grumpy and disrespected and lacking self-control? Do you see the difference there? If it's the gospel that transforms us, if it's the gospel that makes you into a new creation, we need to address our failures by going back to the gospel. Now, I'm not going to go into all of the things that Paul instructs Titus to teach to different people in the church, uh, but I'm going to look at one, and that's self-control, because that's the one thing that Paul instructs everyone in the church to have. He says it to older men, older women, younger women. It's the only thing he says to younger men, which is sort of funny. Everyone else gets a long list, and then you get to young men, and you're like, just one, just, just focus on one. That's as much as your mind can handle. Self-control. Right, self-control is your ability to say no to unhealthy desires, isn't it? 
It's your ability to say no to eating all the Tim Tams in the fridge. It's your ability to say no to sex outside of marriage. It's your ability to say no to getting angry when you don't get your way. That, that, that is what self-control is, your ability to say no. Giving in to temptation is just the tip of the iceberg. It's the thing you see. You might think you have a Tim Tam problem, but really you actually have a deeper problem. There's something below the surface. You think you might have an anger problem or a lust problem, but actually there's something bigger beneath the surface. And beneath the surface of your failures to restrain yourself against unhealthy desires lies the reality that we think that there is something better. We think that there is something that will bring us more joy, more hope, more security than the gospel. Now, you probably don't think consciously like that, but that is what is going on. You think that to be happy, it's not a relationship with Jesus that you need, it's it's sex that you need. You think that to be content, to be complete, it's not your identity in Christ, but the freedom to do whatever you want. And so you see, the way that we address our failures when it comes to self-control or our failures with anything else on this list, is not to look at the issue itself, but to look at the underlying gospel issue. To remind ourselves that in the gospel, we have everything we could ever want. Anything that we could need. There is nothing better than being in relationship with God. Friends, if it's the gospel that transforms us, We need to address our failures by going back to the gospel. That's our first point this morning. Gospel-shaped character, it's not a matter of following rules. It's the outcome of letting God transform us by accepting the gospel. That's the first point. The second thing for us to see this morning is that a life transformed by the gospel is a precious, precious jewel. It's like a diamond. You see, Paul's deep, deep desire throughout this letter is to see the churches in Crete be filled with people who have been changed, who are different to how they were before, and who by their own transformation help to transform others. That's what Paul wants. He wants disciples who help attract and grow and change other disciples. And you see, three times in this passage, Paul highlights the effect of your behaviour on other people. In particular, the effect of your behaviour on people outside the church. And do you see it? All of them start with, so that. So in verse 5, Paul urges young women to submit to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. In verse 8, Paul addresses Titus himself and he urges him to show integrity in speech so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. And then in verse 10, Paul's addressing slaves and he instructs them to obey their masters and serve them with honesty so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. Do you see? 
the way that we live has implications. It has an effect on the people out there. And Paul's expectation is that the good behaviour of Christians, you being a transformed person, will make the teaching about God attractive. It's like a diamond ring. Your behaviour doesn't make the gospel attractive. The gospel's already attractive, right? What could we hope to add to a news that God wants sinners to be his friends? There's nothing that we can add that will make that better news. It's already beautiful. It's already attractive. But our behaviour can either align with it and complement it, like a diamond ring on my beautiful wife's finger, or it can contradict it. It can go against it. It can make the beautiful thing seem less beautiful. And so the question for us today is, is our behaviour adorning the gospel? Is it showing it to be the beautiful thing that it is? Or is it detracting from the gospel? Is your life like a diamond that is helping people to see the beauty of the gospel, attracting others to Jesus? Now, we've all seen the opposite of it, haven't we? You've seen the situations where you see people who claim to be followers of Jesus and they're, they're just destroying any hope of helping people to see the gospel. They, they're out there and they're being angry and judgmental and unloving and they lack compassion. And it's horrible to watch. You see Christians doing that and you're like, no, just stop. Just don't say anything. You're making it worse. You see people bringing the gospel into disrepute. You see people making the good news seem like bad news. Every week I have conversations with people who say they like God. They like the idea of God. They're happy with the idea of Jesus. But what they can't handle is the church. What they can't handle is people who claim to follow Jesus. Isn't that sad? They've looked on the behaviour of Christians and so they've thrown the gospel away as well. Friends, let's pray this morning that we will never do anything that would make someone think the gospel is not good news. But on the positive, have you seen it done well? I suspect that actually some of you are here because this is what's happened. You've seen the gospel impact someone else's life and it's been attractive to you. I've shared my story before, but the reason I'm a Christian is because there was an old guy named Ron whose life was attractive to me. Now, he, he wasn't attractive. He was, he was the biggest dork in the world. He wore socks and sandals and he was, there was nothing attractive about him. As I was a teenager and he was this 50-something-year-old man. 50 is not that old, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, there was nothing that would otherwise attract me except for that I could see his love for Jesus. I could see the gospel had worked in him. I could see that he had joy and hope. He had purpose. And I, at first I hated it. I actually found it annoying. And I don't know why. I suspect that it was probably my sinful heart trying to resist the transformation that needed to happen. But eventually I came to want it. I wanted what Ron had. I suspect many of you might have similar stories. 
Praise God for the attractive Christians that have attracted you to see the gospel, to see the beauty of God's love for you in Christ Jesus. But let me challenge you, will you allow God to transform your life so that other people may see the beauty of the gospel? Will your behaviour align with the gospel? Will you be the diamond ring that complements the beauty of the gospel? Will you be gentle and loving and generous so that you're attractive? Will you exercise the kind of self-control that shows that you're not held captive by your own desires, but that you've got something greater? Something that gives you freedom. That's attractive. Friends, when you're willing to submit to your husband or to authorities or to a boss and to joyfully allow them to lead you, that's crazy to most people. And some people will find that particularly unattractive. But friends, when you can do that with joy, when you can show that that is a good thing, When you can show that that is God's design and it is a blessing to everyone. Friends, you show how precious the gospel is. When you show that you are willing to set aside your own rights for the sake of others. You are being a precious jewel that shows the beauty of the gospel. Friends, the gospel transformed life is a precious jewel and God will use it to attract people to see the beauty of the gospel. But it's more than just that. It's pretty, but it's not just pretty. It's got teeth. Diamonds are good on a finger, but they're really good at sharpening things and grinding things and cutting things. And friends, so are you. Because Titus chapter 2 shows us that we are tools that God uses to help sharpen and grind away at and grow other disciples. You are here to help other people cling to Jesus. Did you know that? That's that's why the church is a thing. You know, God could just save you as an individual and say, you're going to be mine, and you're going to be mine, and you're going to be mine, and you don't even have to know each other. But that's not what God does. He says, you're going to be mine, and you're going to be mine, and you're going to be mine, and you're going to be together. And you're going to help each other follow me. And you're going to help each other love me. And you're going to be so full of love for each other that people outside here are going to look at you and go, wow, there's something amazing about God. That's what God is doing here. And so we see that in this passage. When you see, who is it that does the discipling in Titus chapter 2? Have a look. Who is it that does the teaching? Sort of everyone, right? Who is it that does the work of helping other Christians grow in faith in this story? Who is it that teaches? Well, for starters, Paul teaches Titus. And then Paul teaches Titus to teach the older men to be good examples. And then he shows them how to be a good example by being a good example. And Paul teaches Titus to teach the older women to teach the younger women to teach their kids. Do do you get the picture? Church is not me talking to you. It's you talking to each other. It's you growing together. It's us growing together. We all do the work of discipling. 
Ephesians 5 says the role of the pastor is not to do all the discipling, but to equip the saints for the works of ministry. My role is to help you disciple each other. And you need to disciple me. We, we need to do this together. And so you see, the picture of the church that we have here in Titus 2 is not some loosely affiliated group of people that happen to sit in the same building on a Sunday morning. It's like a family. It's people who share in each other's lives, who follow each other's examples, who help each other grow. Let me ask you, if you're a parent, how did you raise your children? What did you do? Was there one thing that you did to make your child a functioning human being? No, there wasn't one thing. There wasn't ten things. There was like a billion tiny little things. And some of them you didn't really think about. But at every mealtime, every conversation, everything that you did was a little thing that was helping to grow this child from being a useless blob on the floor to being a functioning human. That, that's what happened. You were shaped not by one thing, but by a million tiny things. Friends, you've heard that it takes a village to raise a child. Well, friends, it takes a whole church to make a disciple. And we're going to grow disciples not through one thing, but through all of us working together. When I started here at the start of the year, a few of you said that what this church needed was a young pastor to reach young people. And you were kind of excited that maybe now we would actually try and we would reach some younger people. And, and there's, there's some truth to that. There is a goodness. There's something that's easier to kind of reach young people when you have people that look like them and think like them and can relate to them a little bit better. But friends, do you know what our church really needs? Do you know what our church needs to grow young people? Do you know what our church needs to help young people see that the gospel is infinitely valuable and worth sacrificing everything for? Do you know what our church needs to help young people walk with Jesus every day of their lives? We need old people. That's what Titus 2 tells us, doesn't it? We need old men who aren't grumpy and tired, but who young men want to be like who see them as someone that's worthy of respect. They want to emulate them. We need old men who take an interest in the young men. We need old women who walk alongside the younger women and who encourage them, who teach them to prioritise discipleship in their own lives, in their own families, in their own communities. Do you see? What this church needs is not a young pastor. You don't need me. We need you. This church needs all of us to be playing our bit in making disciples. We are all useful tools if the gospel has worked in your life, if the gospel has transformed you, if it has made you in any way like what you see here in Titus 2. You are a tool that God is going to use to help other people grow in their faith. And so friends, will you be that tool? Will you actually use your time to come serve your brothers and sisters here in church? Will you open up your homes to other people? Not so that they see how nice your home is, 
but that they might see your life, that they might see your behaviour, that they might see how the gospel has transformed you and how it can also transform them. Friends, will you be a disciple-making disciple? How about we pray? Our Lord God, we thank you that the good news that Jesus is Lord is news that changes us forever. We rejoice that by your love, by your grace, by your initiation, you have made us your people. That you've taken us who were sinners and made us righteous through Christ's righteousness. That you've made us acceptable to you and now you use us as ambassadors for the gospel. Lord, would you help us to stick to the gospel and to help us know that it is your power that changes us and not our own willpower, not our own obedience, nothing in us that would make us acceptable to you. Help us to trust that it is you who changes us. And Lord, through our lives, through our lives that have been changed and transformed, would you make us attractive to those that don't yet know you? Would people see our love? Would people see our self-control? Would people see our willingness to submit to those that you've placed in authority? And would they see the beauty of the gospel in us? Father, we pray now that there would be nothing in our lives that would bring your gospel into disrepute that there would be nothing in us that might make people think that the good news is not actually good. We repent of anything that we have done which would make us, uh, would make the gospel offensive to people. And Lord, we ask that you would continue to grow us and shape us and change us to be more like Jesus. Thanks that you've given us a church of older men and older women and younger men and younger women. Thank you that you've brought us together and that you grow us together, that you use us to sharpen one another, to encourage one another, to even rebuke one another. Lord, would you help us to do that better? Would you help us to point each other to the hope of the gospel, to the security of the gospel, and to live the life of the gospel? And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.